All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. As we begin our study of Matthew itself, uh, let me just remind you that the aim of the listener's commentary is to help people learn and live the Bible by providing clear, down-to-earth teaching straight through the books of the New Testament. And there are several ways you can help uh, help us really accomplish that mission. And let me just highlight two of them. One is that you can share the listener's commentary on whatever platforms you have to to your friends list, uh, on an email list. If you have a podcast on your podcast, if you're a pastor, you can recommend it to your small group leaders and to Bible study teachers. Uh, Just share it on your social media channels broadly and widely. Help more and more people discover the commentary. That's one way you can help us help people learn and live the Bible. The other way is you can uh, help us achieve this by supporting us financially, and you can do that by going to listenerscommentary.com, clicking the Give button, or signing up for the Study Hub. Either way, all monthly donors get access to bonus materials inside the Study Hub that will help you really dig in and uh, study the Bible for yourself and even teach it and pass it on to others. So thanks for being a part of the Listener's Commentary family, and thanks for... uh, just partnering with us to help more and more people learn and live the Bible. All right, let's jump into the Gospel of Matthew itself. Our last recording was the backstory, answering some of the questions about how this book came to be and where it came from. In this recording, we are going to dive into the text of Matthew with Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And if you're familiar at all with Matthew's gospel, or if you have it open in front of you, you'll recognize that this is a genealogy. Matthew begins his gospel, his story of Jesus, with a genealogy. Why in the world would you do that? Genealogies, at least from our perspective, really aren't that engaging, aren't that fast-paced, aren't that fascinating. What a boring way to start a book. And yet, genealogies were incredibly important in the ancient world. And since Matthew is writing specifically to Jews, genealogies were especially important in the Jewish world. And so this would be a very fitting way to begin his gospel for the audience he's writing to. Genealogies were written not just so that you would know who your great-great-grandfather was. Genealogies were written to show a person's pedigree. And so if someone's going to claim to be the Messiah, as Jesus had claimed, and as Matthew believes, and Matthew is presenting his gospel to tell the world that Jesus is the Messiah, if if we're going to establish that claim, well, the first place to start is they at least have to have the correct royal pedigree. And so Matthew traces Jesus's lineage, his family history, from Abraham to David to Joseph and Mary. And therefore, this genealogy very much serves as like the prologue to the Gospel of Matthew. And as such, it sets up some key themes that Matthew wants to communicate in his Gospel. Specifically, it sets up that Jesus is the Davidic Messiah. And it sets the the Jesus story into the context of the whole Bible story and into Israel's story. And Jesus' story only makes sense in that larger story uh, of Israel and Abraham and the world. And so that's why this genealogy is so important for Matthew's original audience and for Matthew to start his gospel this way. 
Now, one thing important to note is that scholars have noted the differences between Matthew's genealogy here and the genealogy that shows up in the Gospel of Luke, that they're not exactly the same. The names are the same between Abraham and David, but uh, some of the names between David and Jesus are different. And we don't know all the reasons for that, but it, it was common in ancient gene genealogies to kind of tailor them for your purpose, to pick certain names and to skip other names based on the goal and the intent of the genealogy. The goal was not to give every single name in the list. The goal was to communicate a message through the genealogy. And Matthew communicates the message that Jesus is of the, the proper legal line to be the Davidic king. And so here in his genealogy, he traces Jesus's family history through the legal line of Joseph, his father, at least his human father. Another interesting thing to note about this genealogy is the presence of several women. And that's unusual. Mentioning women was incredibly rare in genealogies since in their culture, Family history, family identity, family land, all of that was based on the males in the family line. And because Matthew includes women, he, he must have done so then for a very good reason. And some of these women are from scandalous situations. Some are foreigners. And so it seems as if these women uh, are intentionally placed here in the genealogy as part of the prologue to hint at how Jesus is going to break down social and even racial barriers through his ministry and through his life and death and resurrection. All right, so all of that is to say that Matthew opens his gospel with a very intentional genealogy. And he actually begins that genealogy in the opening verse of his gospel by stating the genealogy's point. Here's how the gospel of Matthew begins. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so you, you get the point right up front. You get the point of the genealogy and one of the main points of the entire gospel of Matthew, and that is Jesus is the Messiah. He is the uh, long-awaited anointed one to sit on David's throne. That's the idea. This is the main point of Je giving Jesus' family history up front, and it is one of the major themes all throughout Matthew's gospel. Jesus is the Messiah, and the word Messiah Hebrew is Mashiach, in uh, Greek, Christos, Christ. And so Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. And then Matthew follows that up by emphasizing two quick little points that are going to really be shaping markers for his genealogy. He's the son of David, and he's the son of Abraham. To say he's the son of David it means that he is part of the Davidic line, the line of David, the great king. And Matthew uses this phrase, son of David, for Jesus more than any other gospel does. And since David was the great king, and since the Messiah was promised to come from his line, this is critical. If Jesus is going to be the Messiah, he has to be the son of David. In fact, God had promised David in 2 Samuel 7 that he'd have a descendant on his throne forever. 
But with the, the exile at the end of the Old Testament, the Davidic dynasty had ended. And so Jews had been longing and waiting and watching and hoping and praying for centuries for God to send his Messiah. And there had been various people claiming to be the one in those inter, intervening years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And, and Matthew is saying Jesus is the true and ultimate and final fulfillment of that promise. He is the Messiah. He is the son of David who would actually bring about the kingdom of God. He also notes that Jesus is the son of Abraham. Abraham lived about a thousand years before David, and it was to Abraham that the great promise came that through him and his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so to say that Jesus is the son of Abraham emphasizes very simply that he is uh, his Jewishness. He's part of Abraham's family, but it also uh, suggests that he is the fulfillment of that promised Abraham, that this is the way God's blessing would come to the world. And so Matthew opens his gospel with this very simple statement that we could easily pass right over and take for granted, but it communicates uh, really the central message about Jesus himself and who he is, the central thing that Matthew wants to communicate. And so with that setup then, Matthew then enters into his genealogy and he traces Jesus' lineage, his genealogy, in descending order from Abraham down to his birth. And this was the most common ways that Jews did it. And so verse 2 picks up this way. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. And Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. And so this simple little uh, line here uh, really indicates that Jesus is part of the line of promise. In fact, much like Paul does in Romans chapter 9, Matthew doesn't mention all the descendants of Abraham or all the descendants of Isaac. He only mentions the line of promise. Uh, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. This is the line of promise. And why does he mention Judah? Well, Judah uh, of all of Jacob's sons is highlighted because Judah becomes the royal line. And this is what Matthew wants to communicate. Jesus is of the royal line. And so Judah gets highlighted uh, apart from his brothers because he is the line that the kings will come from. And then Matthew continues in verse 3 with, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. This is one of those interesting and fascinating little moments in the genealogy where Matthew uh, chooses to highlight a story from the Old Testament and a woman from a scandalous situation. And you can read the story about Judah and Tamar in Genesis 38. It's full of ancient Near Eastern context that makes it weird for us to read and kind of an odd story. But Tamar is actually Judah's daughter-in-law. And, and when you read the story, what you realize is in their context, Judah had uh, uh, failed to actually keep up his, his pledge to produce legitimate offspring for her and her family. And as a result, she tricked Judah into fathering uh, kids with her. And so Perez and Zerah became the children of Judah by Tamar. And Matthew then is going to trace the lineage of Jesus through this kind of scandalous line. 
And so he continues by saying, Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Aminadab, and Aminadab fathered Nashan, and Nashan fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz uh, by Rahab. And now we're up to another one of those women. Boaz is fathered by Rahab of the taking of the Jericho story in uh, the book of Judges. And, and so Rahab is that famous Rahab, if you're familiar with that story, who hung a scarlet cord out of her window to protect her because she had hidden the spies. And so Boaz is fathered by this foreigner who is from a less than noble background, right? The prostitute, perhaps, certainly a inn. Uh, she ran an inn, and oftentimes inns in the ancient world also doubled as brothels. That's why we uh, think that she is probably a prostitute. And so she actually makes the, the royal line of the Messiah here. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, another female and another foreigner. The, story, the whole book of Ruth and the story of Ruth, you can read that and you can see that whole story. It's a fun, fascinating little story. Well, um, Boaz marries Ruth and together they have a son named Obed. Obed is the grandfather of David the king. So Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David the king. And so with that, we have arrived at kind of the end of the first chunk of the genealogy, um, coming up to now the very Davidic line. And so from Abraham to David, Matthew has traced that. And then Matthew continues by saying, David fathered Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah, literally just by the woman of Uriah. Um, and she's not named. She's just hinted at. And it's, again, another part of the scandalous part of the story. It's another female who had been taken advantage of by David. And Matthew includes her in the story because that is where Solomon came from. And the royal line is passed on through Solomon. And so uh, David fathered Solomon by Bathsheba. That's the story we're talking about. And again, you can read that in the book of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And then uh, Matthew continues, Solomon fathered Rehoboam, and Rehoboam fathered Abijah. And now we're on to just the list, a long list of Israelite kings that you can read about in the book of First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles, right? So Rehoboam fathered Abijah, Abijah fathered Asa, Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat fathered Joram, Joram fathered Uzziah, Uzziah fathered Jotham, Jotham fired, uh, fathered Ahaz, and Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. A long list of Jewish kings. And the list continues in verses 10 and 11. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Ammon. Ammon fathered Josiah. Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And so with this long list of kings, Matthew takes us from David the high point, the great king, the one to whom God had promised uh, a descendant to sit on his throne forever, the one through whom the Messiah would come. Well, now from that, he's gone all the way from David clear down to the exile, the deportation to Babylon. And that's when really the royal dynasty of David was interrupted and broken up. 
right? And uh, that's when the exile began. And, and in the first century, even though it's been about 600 years uh, since that happened, Jews still lived under the shadow of exile because they've still been un- under foreign occupation, even though they were allowed by Persia, right? They were taken to Babylon. Babylon was conquered by Persia. Persia allowed the Jews to return home. Some did, not all. And even though they were allowed to return home, and even though they were allowed to rebuild uh, their city and their temple, uh, God's presence never returned to the temple. And so even by Matthew's day, by first century, by the time Jesus was born, there's still the shadow of exile hanging over uh, the Jewish people. And so Matthew now, with this long list of kings, has brought us up to this moment. And then he continues in verse 12 and says, And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Sheatil, Sheatil fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abihud, Abihud fathered Eliakim, Eliakim fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Akim, Akim fathered Eliud, Eliud fathered Eliezer, Eliezer fathered Matan, Matan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Just notice how precise Matthew is. He doesn't refer to Joseph as fathering Jesus. That's the way he's worded it all along, right? So-and-so fathered so-and-so, who fathered so-and-so, and and fathered so-and-so. But Matthew doesn't say, Joseph fathered uh, Jesus. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born. And Matthew is being very, very precise to emphasize that uh, Jesus was fathered a different way, not by Joseph. Now, in the paragraph that follows, Joseph assumes the role of father, and some even say, in a certain sense, almost adopting Jesus as his son by naming him, but he assumes that role as the father, and he is going to play that role of Jesus' earthly father, and thus, appropriately, this line can be traced through him as well as through Mary, and so Jesus has the proper family pedigree. Then Matthew wraps up his genealogy by stating this in verse 17. He says, so, All the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And then from David all the way up to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. This tells us, obviously, that Matthew has kind of intentionally organized and stylized his genealogy. And that's typical. Genealogies weren't intended to be comprehensive, right? They weren't just trying to give the list of every single name. They were actually trying to communicate a message, show a person's lineage, a family history, a pedigree through the genealogy. Matthew's clearly done that by the way he has worded it. But what's the significance of the number 14? And the fact is we just don't know. (laughs) There's been a number of guesses, some of which may be better than others. We're not totally sure. One of the more likely options is that the number 14 hints at the connection with David. And the reason for that is because as a common practice among the Jews was to uh, use the numeric values of letters for a person's name or for a significant event. Well, the numeric value of David's name is 14. And so it may be in keeping with Matthew's 
intent to show that Jesus is the Davidic Messiah, simply the way his structure of the genealogy is another way of hinting at um, Jesus coming from the proper line of David. But again, we don't know 100% for sure. All right, to wrap up this little section, let me just offer this important reflection that sometimes we, we Christians sort of miss. And that's this, uh, that Jesus is actually the culmination of a long, big story. Sometimes we want to jump right into the gospel with Matthew. We want to jump right into the New Testament. We're not sure what to do with the Old Testament. And we forget that the Old Testament is Jesus's story. It is the family history of Jesus. And by extension, anyone who is in Jesus, right? It's the Jewish story. But as the Apostle Paul, for example, points out in Romans chapter 11, anyone who's in the Messiah has been grafted into that story, into that family tree. And so even Gentiles get grafted in, as Paul says, as like a wild branch on a, a natural cultivated olive tree. And so that's Jesus' story, but it's also our story. And Jesus is the culmination of that long story from Abraham to David and right on down to his birth through Joseph and Mary and on to the present day. Jesus is the culmination of that long story of Israel and the story, therefore, of Abraham. And Abraham is set in the context of the human story of the curse of sin and death through which God is going to solve that problem through Abraham and his descendants and the ultimate descendant, the ultimate seed of Abraham is Jesus, the Messiah. And so as we, we begin the Gospel of Matthew, this genealogy reminds us of the backstory to Jesus, the family history of Jesus, the roots of the Gospel story, that the Gospel story only makes sense in the context of Israel's story and Abraham's story and uh, the ancient story of Adam and Eve. And this is the, the, the culminating moment where that story is coming to fruition. The promise to Abraham, the promise to David, now coming to its focal point in Jesus, the Messiah, the King.